if you're not that familiar with the Bible and you have a phone or something like that, then you can just, or, or even a, a paper Bible, you can either Google Luke 7 and the, uh, 36, or you can look in the front of your contents page and look for Luke, and uh, it will give you a page to go find it. It's closer to the back of the book. Uh, go find Luke, big number 7, small number 36, and um, we're going to pick up from there this morning. I'm going to read it, then I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. One of the Pharisees asked him, who's Jesus, to eat with him, the Pharisee, and Jesus surprisingly went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, uh, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed the feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed uh, about two months' wage and another about three years. When they would not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Um, this morning I want to think a little bit about uh, how we deal with Jesus or how we treat Jesus. Um, I wonder if you can imagine for a little bit, imagine uh, you have Jesus coming to your home today. Imagine you, you had the opportunity to say, Jesus, uh, come on over for a meal, and he said, okay. Um, I really want you to imagine that. Some of you live with your parents, so maybe you need their permission. Some of you uh, live with someone else, so maybe you need to let them know. Someone, some of you have your own home. Some of you live in an apartment. Some of you live in a house. But whatever that place is, I want you to really think through the reality of the most important human who's ever lived is coming to your place, your domain, uh, for a meal you, that you probably haven't prepared yet um, because you're slightly surprised that he's received your invitation. He's got bigger things to do, but he's coming. What do you do with Jesus? I really want you to think it out. I don't want you to just pause and wait for me to, to say something else. I really want you to think, what would you do with Jesus? 
at the Hully house, Ramon and Inez house. You don't have time to cook three dishes now. It's too late. <laughs> at the Peterson house. In all seriousness, what, what do you do with Jesus? What do you imagine you'd feed him? Do, do you worry about whether he eats pork or not? Yeah? Does he? Does he? I mean, does he? I, yeah, I, I don't know. Don't, don't risk it, maybe. Does he eat pork? Does he? Where, where do you seat him? Have you figured it out? Where's he going to sit? How long is he going to stay? Is he going to get in the way of something? What if he says he wants to spend the night? Where does he sleep? Does he sleep in the main room, your room? Do you have to go hide things from him that you'd be embarrassed of him seeing? I mean, just bear, bear, quickly remind yourself it's Jesus. He knows everything already. I don't know how comfortable or uncomfortable you feel. The more I think about it, the more uncomfortable I get about it. What do you do with him if you need to go to work in the morning? Do you what do you do when you wake up in the morning? Do you spend time with him? Or do you keep your morning routine? Do you head, do you head out for exercise and say, Jesus, I'll see you later? Do you go to work? Tell him your net Netflix passcode. And he says, uh, no thanks. Can you imagine? Do you think Jesus would be interested in watching Netflix? I, I think there's a lot that we can't answer. I think we can probably say uh, no. <laughs> what do you think you would want to show him to impress him? Is he going to care what car you drive or how bad your car is? Is he going to care about what clothes you have? Is he going to care about what fragrance you use in the bathroom? Is he going to care whether your couch is new or old, secondhand? And he's actually very hard to impress <laughs> with worldly things. Look at this new stereo I've got, Jesus. It's got a, a special subwoofer, extra bass. You can really hear what Jonathan Ogden's doing. Does he care? I mean, it's not that he doesn't care, it's just that it's not the, not the thing that's beating in his heart so much. You take him to work. I mean, I guess Julian could. Jesus was a carpenter. He could probably teach the kids something. <laughs> Come, kids, I'll show you how to make a cross. <laughs> do you leave him behind? What, what do you suppose he'd be doing? Jesus is coming to your house, what would you do with him? Here we've got two people. Uh, one's a Pharisee and one's a lady of Ill, repu Ill repute, called a sinner by Luke, called a sinner by the Pharisee. Never called a sinner by Jesus that directly, but she clearly is a sinner. Uh, the story lets us know. We don't know what kind of sinner she is, um, she has famously 
in tr Christian tradition had certain been called a certain kind of sinner, but no one knows that. It's not clear in the story. We, we don't know why she's a sinner. We just know she's a sinner. Um, and let's, so let's not name, name it. But uh, think about who in the story is inviting Jesus into their life or who is hearing Jesus invite them into his life. Isaiah 51, 55 verse 1, he prophesied and said, uh, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Luke, Jesus obviously fulfills this and, and says this as kind of this show of, you know, I'm the one who's been prophesied about. I'm the one through whom you come. And who's hearing this in the story? We've got the Pharisee on this side, and let's just keep it on the side for today. The Pharisee, and we've got the woman. Someone is inviting Jesus into their life, and someone else is being invited into Jesus' life. Which one is the Pharisee? The Pharisee is inviting Jesus into his life. Is it that tough a question? It was, I mean... Stan's a very intelligent man. <laughs> the Pharisee is inviting Jesus into his life. Come into my home. That means the Pharisee has control over the situation. He chooses what to eat. He chooses what to do. The woman has received an invitation, a felt invitation, to come into Jesus' life. We find her standing right behind Jesus in the Pharisee's home. She felt somehow through who Jesus is and the stories that she's heard that she was welcomed to come to him. Whether she's, she's obviously, she probably has heard Isaiah 55 growing up uh, and she, she probably didn't hear it out of Jesus' own mouth, but somehow she understands that she has an invitation to come to him and with delight. And she comes quite prepared. She comes with an alabaster job ointment. She expects that she can get close to him. This is her expectation. These three moments I want to look at this morning with you. One is a wash, and think about how do we welcome Jesus. One is a kiss, and think about how do we relate to Jesus publicly. One is, a, is oil, and think about how do we consider Jesus. Uh, verse 38, let's just read it again. We find her, um, actually I'll just read it. Standing behind him at his feet... So you've got to imagine this, because we're sitting at tables, our feet are below the table, so she would, in our culture, she'd have to be sitting under the table at his feet. So it's not happening. He's reclining at table, so he's leaning into the table over here eating, and his feet are going outwards. That's how they're sitting and eating at feasts. It's probably some sort of feast in the schedule, because that's how they do it at feasts. Otherwise, ordinarily, the table would have less people, and you could just sit upright um, at the table. So he's sitting, reclining, his feet are going backwards. She's... Uh, standing behind him. She somehow got close enough in the room and she's standing behind Jesus and she's weeping. Um, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. We, saw, we see all of this happening. Um, we see her washing. We see her kissing. We see her anointing his feet. We see her washing. She, stands, she comes close to Jesus. What's, what would have been a normal custom in this tradition is that people are walking around with sandals on dusty roads, sandals if they have a little bit of money, maybe barefoot if they don't, 
and the, their feet get dirty, and they arrive at homes and it would have been accustomed to have uh, one of your, your workers or slaves uh, clean the feet of your guests with water. It's a very low-cost service, um, and it's, it's just a welcome. Jesus' feet have not been washed. The, 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 it hasn't happened. So she's looking at his feet. She feels welcomed into his life, and she begins to cry. Uh, and and uh, this isn't what Luke tells us, but this is what I can imagine happening. As she begins to cry, she notices the dust on, on his feet. She notices that his feet haven't yet been washed. And she decides to wash his feet with her tears. And she goes down on her knees behind him, and she takes her tears and begins to wash off the dirt from his feet. Christian, Christian tradition suggests that she made a big scene. But, it, but it's very hard to pick up a big scene in this story. It's moving very slowly. She's crying, enough tears to wash feet. That's quite a lot of tears. Then she's drying them with her hair, wiping them. Then she's kissing them. Then she's putting an expensive perfumed oil on them. And Simon, it says, when, you, when we read it, if you read it again, it kind of, it's the suggestion of he becomes aware of it. If it's, a big, if it's a big scene, it's hard to become aware of something that's kind of taking over the room, right? You just, everyone knows it's happening. But it's more like, you know, you're at a party and you suddenly realize someone's got, um, I don't know, like some food hanging from their face or something. You become aware of it. And then you try to catch their eye and you're like, and always, we always get the wrong side of the face, right? So then they go, like, no. And then they're like, and you're like, no, there's food on your face. And then everyone stops and looks at them, and it's over. It's, it's this kind of, he becomes aware of something that someone's doing, and, and he starts to speak to himself and thinks, and starts to say, you know, if Jesus was this great prophet, he would know who, what kind of woman this is. And he starts to undermine Jesus. But this is happening slowly. She's washing his feet. She's drying his feet. She's kissing his feet. She's anointing his feet with oil. Something very wonderful is happening. Why do you wash? Well, you wash feet to, to common courtesy. As, as I said there, uh, how do we welcome Jesus? She washes with her tears. She's got this overwhelming well of love that welcomes Jesus from her heart. Not a, it's not a bowl of water. She could have gone to another room, got a bowl of water, and started washing his feet. But she's so overcome by being in the presence of Jesus that she just does it with her own tears. Her own heart, her own affections for Jesus welcomes him. You would kiss in that culture um, as a welcome, as a greeting, as a sign of fellowship. And it, uh, you know, the scriptures they greet each other with a holy kiss. We don't do that very much. We've often joked about we should, we should consider just doing like a, a five-minute thing on, at King's Cross to go, what is our way of greeting? Because it can get so awkward. There's huggers, there's kisses, there's handshakers, there's stand, don't touch me's. And it gets like, are we leaning? Are we going sideways? Are we kissing? Are we... It can get super awkward and intimate. I often have accidentally kissed people on the neck, which... Um, <laughs> I didn't realize we were kissing, and now I'm too close, so now I kiss, but it's, it's, I'm sorry, I wasn't, <laughs> but your perfume sounds, smells nice. <laughs> anyway, so he, she kisses his feet, that's not his cheeks, 
That means that the sign of fellowship that she's showing is that she reveres him as if a king. That's the, that's the kiss you give to a king. Is you fall down at his feet and you kiss them. And she's giving him that sort of sign in front of everyone publicly. To, to me, this guy is like a king. How do we treat Jesus publicly? The Pharisee didn't give Jesus a wash. And he wouldn't even have done it himself. He would have just had a slave do it. He withheld that. I imagine the slave girl probably came in as was the custom with the bowl and the Pharisee would have somehow intentionally gone, no, not this guy. Not even water. He didn't kiss him. Publicly holding him at arm's length. I'm curious about this guy. We're going to ask some questions about him. He's making a big fuss. There's something about him. Some call him a prophet. Let's figure it out. But he's, he's not my guy, everyone that's watching. I'm not, I'm not with him. And then she anoints his feet with very expensive oil. Now in those days, uh, because of the harsh sun, if you considered the person and you had it in your means, and most would, you might give olive oil for their head. You might anoint their head with olive oil because you've been working in this incredibly dry and parched land. Your head is hot or your skin is hot and you might anoint them with oil and soothe them. Consider them. Oh, I know how they must be feeling. Let me pour some cheap, readily available olive oil over you. The man doesn't. In other words, Jesus, I don't care how you're feeling or what's going on in your life. I'm not here to soothe you. I'm here to question you. I'm here to put you on trial. She, however, has come in already prepared. She brought the alabaster jar. She already had an intention in mind. All we know is what she was going to do with the alabaster jar. We don't, we, we don't know that she had prepared to wash his feet. She probably hadn't prepared for that. She would have thought he would get a foot wash. We don't know that she would have kissed his feet. She probably, as she comes closer to him, it's like a fire. And the closer you get to it, her heart melts. uh, She knew she was welcomed in his presence, but the closer she gets, the reality of who he is strikes her heart and she falls down at his feet and kisses them. But what she was always going to do is put her oil upon his feet. She was always going to anoint him. She takes this expensive oil and puts it, on the feet that are going to, in in an hour's time, get dusty again. At great cost to herself, she soothes the feet of Jesus. I can't help but think of the text that says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And it's it's like she's gone, you are the one who's brought, who satisfies every longing, who welcomes me and who sees me, who looks beyond my sin and welcomes me into your life. Your feet, you have brought me good news. Beautiful are your feet. Anointed are your feet. Fragrant are your feet. For you have brought me good news. You have brought me into you. Pharisee has invited Jesus into his life. As long as Jesus stays in his place. 
then, in, then the Pharisee goes on. And it's a bit of an ironic story that Luke tells. And Luke's a doctor, so he's, he's quite a smart guy, and he can, he can write, and he writes very well. And we miss a lot of, a lot of what he, he's writing because we don't read the Greek, but there's a lot of play on words and all sorts of things. But there's some irony here that he writes about how the Pharisee looks at Jesus and says, if he knew what kind of woman this was and what she's done, he wouldn't allow this to happen. Now, Jesus, he hasn't said it to Jesus. And so he's saying, Jesus is no one special. He's clearly not this prophet that everyone says he is. So he's already, you know, already on the ranking. Okay, so before lunch has even come, Jesus is definitely not the guy, not the prophet. I'm starting to get my evidence. Then Jesus says to him, to kind of show, Simon, I'm more than you thought I was. In other words, remember again, Simon is speaking to himself. It's like a thought going through his head. And then Jesus speaks directly at the thought and goes, Simon, can I say something to you? Yeah. Okay, teacher. What do you want to say? Well, Simon, there's two people who have a debt. Neither one of them can pay. The one is a small debt, but they can't pay it. The other is a big debt, and they can't pay it. Someone who doesn't pay their debt goes to jail. There's no, like, rankings of it. You go to jail till you pay your debt. Then they get forgiven of the debt from the money lender. Money lenders, that's a surprise, because money lenders don't forgive debts. Which one do you think will rejoice the most? And there's this kind of like, I mean, read it. It's like, well, I suppose. <laughs> there's this kind of, whether he's going like, look, I don't know if this is like a trick question, because it seems pretty obvious. Or, or if he realizes, oh gosh, does he know what I was just thinking? Is he... Is he aware of what was just going on? And he's kind of like protecting himself. Well, I suppose, you know, it's like an okay story. I suppose maybe the one who's been forgiven more. I mean, who knows? But he's not leaning into the story, not fully. Not opening his heart fully. He's not breaking down and going, oh, Lord, forgive me. I see what you're saying. But I, I suppose the one who's forgiven more? He goes, Simon, you're right. You're right, Simon. And then he goes straight to it and he says, Simon, when I came to your house, you, you didn't wash my feet. But she's washed my feet with the affection of her heart, with her tears. A well of, a well of love has sprung from, from her. She's washed my feet with that. Simon, um, you wouldn't kiss me in front of these people. You've distanced me and held me back. But she's treated me like a king in front of all of you. And Simon, you, you didn't consider how, what position I'd be in or what I would will or how I might feel or what could make me comfortable. She's perfumed me. She's massaged my feet. She's put something costly at her own great cost Upon me that in an hour or two will be washed off. Simon, she knows how much she's needed to be forgiven. She has been forgiven greatly. But those who don't know that they need great forgiveness can't receive it. Get very little. Little forgiveness. Brendan Manning wrote, 
Awareness of our poverty and ineptitude causes us to rejoice in the gift of being called out of darkness into wondrous and uh, wondrous light and translated into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Awareness of our poverty and ineptitude. Awareness not only of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, but why He did it. Awareness of His great love. Yes. But awareness. Why did He do what He did on the cross? Because of my ineptitude and poverty. Because I could not redeem myself, He went to the cross. It's not just what He did, but why He did it. That Jesus, you know, often we, we speak about it in terms of love, that even for one, Christ would have died for you. That's His love for you. Even for you, Christ would have died. And that's true in a loving sense. But what's also true is, even if it was only you, Christ would have still had to die the same death. Christ would have still had to be mocked and beaten and nailed to a cross and he would have had to cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he would have had to be buried in a tomb, even if it was just for you. That's how, uh, how, how bad my sins are. That's how bad your sins are. That's how inept you are. That's how uh, much moral poverty you, you have. If it was just for you, Christ would have had to die. And she's, she knows this. She's aware of this. She's aware of who she is. The Pharisee, not so much. Yet called us out of darkness. So Manning's saying, yet he's called us from hopelessness, from purposeless, from meaninglessness. He's called us out. She knows this. She knows that she's been invited into his life. That the light of the world, that the Prince of Peace has invited her in. She knows this. She comes to him. And the nearer she comes, the more her heart is affected until she's kissing the King of Kings. The Pharisee can't see that. Can't see the hopelessness or the purposelessness or the meaninglessness. Happy to have Jesus in his life, but his life is still going on pretty much as normal. Jesus, come into my life. I'm sure you can add a lot, but I know what I'm doing. Into his wondrous light, Manning says. What an unbelievable turn. What an incredible twist of fate. That we who are inept, stuck in poverty, can't save ourselves, hopeless and lost, get invited in to his glorious and wondrous life and are given life anew. And Manning just says, well, that causes us to rejoice. He's not going too far. This causes us to rejoice. Rejoicing is not something you can manufacture. <laughs> we, as parents, we try to do this all the time, right? Like your kids don't like their dinner. And you're like, you should be so grateful. What do we all, what, well, maybe you don't. What do, what do many say? You know, if you, if you could see what kids in Ethiopia, what they would love to be eating today... I have never, my parents did that to me, I did it to my kids. I have never, ever, once seen or experienced myself rejoicing because of that. Oh, 
Wow. Thanks, Dad and Mom. I didn't realize that. I suddenly love Brussels sprouts. Thank you. My kids, ugh. So I guess that means I'm going to have to eat this, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. That's, that's like kind of, that's not rejoicing. Manny says, when you get what Jesus has saved you from, when you get, uh, the, when you become aware of it, what's natural is rejoicing. Rejoicing occurs. Jesus says, come to me those who mourn. Sorry. Come to me those who are worn out by never reaching a standard. Come to me those who are worn down by expectations and guilt and shame. Come all who are thirsty for righteousness and have nothing to add. Come all who are hungry for righteousness and have nothing to bring. I will give you rest. I will give you what you need at no cost. That's Matthew, Isaiah and John kind of mixed in together. You've seen this uh, graph before, Joel. I wonder if you can just show the blue slide. You've seen this a version of this before, but this is what's happening. The lady in the story is completely, has, has an awareness of her sinfulness, of her poverty and ineptitude. She knows it. Everyone knows it. And Jesus knows it. And so she has an awareness of Jesus' gracious and merciful welcome. To her, it's a very big salvation that Jesus offers. The Pharisee, I'm not sure where he is. Uh, is he in the white at all? Maybe, maybe not. He's either on that side, holding Jesus off. Maybe he's stepped over. In, maybe he's, maybe he's belie- a believer. Maybe he's received Christ in faith. You know, to, but if he has, then, he's, then he is literally the parable uh, little, little um, debts, a little forgiveness. He's very not aware of what God has forgiven him of, of what God is going to do for him through Christ. And, and he's living without an awareness. And the reality is that even, if you, even for us who are believers, even for us who have placed our faith in Christ, we can still live in little forgiveness and little rejoicing. Little forgiveness because there's little awareness of our sin. You know, I know, I know die, <coughs> Jesus had to die on the cross for all sins because either collectively the weight of the world's sins, yeah, it deserves death, or I know some really bad sinners and they definitely put Jesus on the cross. Um, and I probably needed some of that, but, but not much of it, you know. Um, maybe, maybe the spit was for me. Maybe one of the lashings or or a bit of it was for me. I'm not really sure, but not the whole thing. Um, There's a lack of awareness and therefore a lack of the goodness and mercy of God and His invitation. And, And we still treat Jesus as if we've invited Him into our lives. The best decision I ever made was invite Jesus into my life. What an insult. Wow best decision I ever made was to invite Jesus into my life. I decided that he could come in. I was wise. I was clever. I made a good investment. Let me tell you about it. 
I let him in. And now he's in my house, my heart, my life. He walks with me. He talks with me. I mean, really, it's like Jesus is the best man a friend can ever have. Forgive me for being Christ. But he's like my dog. He loves me. He always forgives me. If I've done him wrong, all I have to do is say, come. Or in a Christian Jesus way, I'm sorry. Jesus is in my life. Or the best decision I ever got to make was to receive Jesus' invitation into his life. I never deserved it. I never added to it. I never brought anything with me. And even now, there's nothing about me that could deserve it or attract it, but because of who he is and the love that he has in his heart, in his heart he welcomes me into his life and invites me into his presence. And every day, he invites me to enjoy his mercy and grace. And every day he invites me to enter into his presence with thanksgiving in my heart. Have you invited Jesus into your life? Are you managing him? Is he your best worker? Is he like a dog in the sense that you can treat him however you want and he'll always be there for you? Are you holding him off? Are you embarrassed of him publicly? In our culture, Jesus is a big embarrassment. He does not gain you brownie points almost anywhere. If you're in an industry where you can profess to be a Christian and be thought well of, then you are lucky and unique. But how do you feel about him publicly? How do you consider his will? What are things that you don't do? Because you, you just know if he was with you, you, he wouldn't be interested in that. What are, you know, Paul says everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. What are things that you just decide not to do, not because of law or guilt or shame, but just because Jesus has invited you into his life? And you just go, yep, no, I can put that off. What do you miss out on? What opportunities? What friendships? What memories? Or don't you? Because Jesus is like the divine Labrador who allows you to live however you want and He's always there for you. Or have you received Jesus' invitation into His life? Have you received His grace and His mercy? 
You know, the other thing is that not only was the woman proud to identify herself with him as her king when he was looking pretty bad in front of important people, but he was happy for her to be identified with him as well. He was happy for her to wash his feet with his, her tears. It's all she had to bring in that moment. For her to kiss his feet, he never said stop. For her to anoint him, he never said stop. He was happy for her to be identified with him. I don't know any very, very, very famous people. I know some famous people. And I know what it would feel like if we were, if we were in a public place. I wish Caleb was here because I would, I would tease him so much right now. Whenever, I meet, whenever Caleb and I are in public and, and Caleb, uh, when, he, when he knows someone, he, I don't know if it's a default or if he does it on purpose, but he introduces me as his pastor almost every time. Hey, John. Hey, uh, this is my pastor. Hey, Mark. This is my friend, John. And every time I shake their hand, I go, it's so nice to meet a friend. I can't wait till Caleb introduces me as his friend one day. <laughs> and, in all, and I tease him only because he's actually just trying to give me respect and a moment to be able to engage with this person in a deeper way. He's trying to build me a little stage, get me two steps further in the relationship immediately. So I'm just teasing him. But I can imagine walking around with someone that everyone wants to be around and them going, hey, this is my friend, Mark. <sighs> I'd just be walking on cloud nine. What's your name? Well, I'm so-and-so's friend. Yeah, I know, but what's your name? Well, my name's incidental. I'm, I'm the man's friend. Maybe if you don't know what I'm talking about, then, then um, and, and that's a good thing. I have to deal with the idols of my heart, but I'm just using them to help me understand how wonderful it is to have Jesus say, I'm happy for you to identify with me, and I'm happy to go in front of anyone. Most importantly, I'm happy to go before the Father and say, they're with me. This is mine. I'm their king. They're my friend. They belong to me. He's not ashamed of me. He's not embarrassed of me. He's delighted to stand before the Father and say, Mark is one of mine. Wow. Let me close by reading you uh, something we may use as a call to worship more frequently. It's a Presbyterian thing that um, a Presbyterian church uses this for their call to worship. And I can't imagine what it would be like if we got this into our hearts. And that's why you have things like calls to worship, so that we understand what we're doing. And it gets deeply into our hearts until it shapes us. And then Josh can lead us in communion. But the question I leave with you is, have you invited Jesus into your life? Are you managing Him? Or have you been invited into the life of Jesus? And are you experiencing all that, that has, all that He has for you? To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, 
and to all who sin and need a Savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, the friend of sinners.